hello and welcome to another episode of Serendipity Girl. I'm your host, Colleen, and I am on a quest to discover and think about things that are not only true, but are they true and also noble and pure and right and just and excellent and worthy of praise. I started this podcast back in 2020 when we were in the throes of COVID and I still love being able to capture and listen to reflections on the good in life and on the good God who is behind everything that is good in life. Well, have you heard of the Barbie movie? Unless you've been living under a rock, you've probably seen women and their daughters or their friends dressed up in pink, some wearing the boots, and they're all dressed up as Barbie going to watch this movie. And my daughter very much wanted to go see it. She is grown, and she grew up with Barbies, as did I, and... I was feeling kind of nostalgic about it. And to be honest, the trailers looked really cute and funny. So I thought it was going to be kind of a whimsical journey, a nostalgic journey through Barbie land. However, I was also hearing some rumblings that there was some pretty serious messages underlying all of the frivolity and that what was set up to look like a real jovial, fun little whimsical journey through Barbie land had some deep, deep messages that it was trying to send. And I got to tell you, and I'm not spoiling anything, looking at the first five minutes, which you can see in a trailer, I was like, whoa, hold on to your hats. And like a famous actress said, I want to say it was Lauren Bacall. She said, buckle up, boys. It's going to be a bumpy ride. And that's a very poor imitation of her, but she said it a whole lot better. But yeah, um, it was hang on to your hats because here we go. But I got to tell you, if you take your daughters to see it, be prepared. I would say I would recommend, especially as a Jesus girl, And we should be doing this anyway, with any movie that we see, any book that we read, any song that we listen to. I know that we want to amuse ourselves, as in amuse. Ah means against, muse I believe means to basically think. Um, If you are amusing yourself, you are just wanting to be entertained. But you still need to keep your brain checked in and listen and dialogue with the children if they watch movies with you about the message. What is the message that the movie is trying to send? Because if you look around us, all of the social media, all of the podcast, all of the music with the lyrics, The YouTube influencer videos. Pay attention to that word, influencer. What do you think they're trying to do? Commercials, all of that. They are trying to influence you. They are trying to tell you what they believe is the truth. Or they're marketing and they've been tasked with trying to advertise or market a product. And so they have to create a need and get you to resonate with that need. And then they're going to try and convince you that their product or their way of thinking or something is the answer. So it's always about setting up a need and then convincing you that they've got the answer. Well, and you could say, well, what about serendipity girl? What's your angle? Well, I'm gonna tell you, I'm a Jesus girl. And I'm not trying to tell you that I've got all the answers. Goodness, no. There are days that I walk around going, Lord, I feel so confused about this, that, or the other. I can tell you honestly, lots of prayer goes in to me trying to make sense of things sometimes. But I do know who has all the answers. 
just like when my Apple iPhone breaks or is malfunctioning, because it was created by Apple, I go to the creator because they created it and they know how it should work. They know how to fix it. They know what the problem is and they're going to set me straight. Well, as a human being, I know who created me and you and everything that exists. And so when something is wrong, I'm going to go to him. And when I want clarification or I want to know how to do this life that I'm doing, or I need advice on how to parent or how to, to be the kind of wife that my husband needs to work well at a job, a ministry, whatever, to get along with a neighbor, uh, to deal with people interpersonally, you get the idea. I'm going to go to the one who created. So my angle is I want to draw people to the truth of God's word because it's called the Holy Bible for a reason. It's called Holy Bible because the one who wrote it is holy. And I'm not talking about quote unquote patriarchal men that wrote the Bible because they didn't write it. God wrote it. God it's his words. According to Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed, or some translations say inspired. And he used men and their personalities, and the fact that they were eyewitnesses wasn't that he didn't love women, because we know that he does. The first person he appeared to when Jesus rose from the dead was a woman, Mary Magdalene. He went out of his way in Samaria to talk to a woman who would have been despised and who no good Jewish person would ever associate with because she was a half-breed. She was a Samaritan. So the disciples were floored when Jesus went to Samaria to reach out to a woman, first of all, because unfortunately in that society, this wasn't a God thing. It's a sinful man thing. And by man, I mean human beings. We all sin. Romans 3.23 makes that clear in the Bible. And I go to the Bible because it is the words of God. And God says in his word, Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father. As in salvation, as in receive forgiveness, as in get in a right relationship with and have an eternal relationship with here on this earth and in a place called heaven. Nobody is going to get there except through me. So you bet your booties. I'm going to go to Jesus and I'm going to find out what he has to say. So what does this have to do with Barbie? Well, when I saw the Barbie movie, the first five minutes, the message that I saw was a bunch of disenchanted, disillusioned little girls, and they even changed the film quality to make it look like it was a long time ago. Okay, that's fine. But they also made it look really dismal, like like kind of puke, green, puke, gray. I don't know that puke is gray, but a, a pukish green, gray color that it's sad looking. And these girls were dressed abysmally. Now they're using hyperbole because they're setting up a need. They're trying to say that these girls, and it's in the trailer, so this is not a spoiler. These girls, according to what you're seeing and what you're hearing with the voiceover, and in case you missed it visually, <laughs> which you couldn't, unless you're like staring into your popcorn bucket, what you saw and what you heard was that in the 1960s, these little girls, AKA, who are they imitating? Their moms, AKA other women. These little girls were imitating women who felt very unfulfilled, disenchanted, unappreciated, and in a life of domestic and marital servitude because all they could do was play with their baby dolls. And then all of a sudden they look up and there's Barbie. And they're like, you know, ah. And she's there to save them. And she takes her sunglasses off and she winks at them like, hello, girls. I'm about to change everything. Okay, so there's a lot of hyperbole in there. 
But what I heard was a lot of poo-pooing of the domestic diva career and being a helpmate to a husband, being a mother, a full-time stay-at-home mother, (gasps) shocker, to a child. I saw a lot of put-down on that. And I could be wrong, but then all of a sudden they switch to this magical pink Barbie world. And now we get to see the fantastic world that Barbie wants to take us to. And it's a world where women, they don't have to just be domestic divas and stay-at-home moms and wives and all that. Why settle? When they could have a jackhammer. There's Barbie with a jackhammer. Oh, I'm sure she never had a drudgery, disenchanted day in her life out in 90, 80, 90, 100 degree heat wrestling with asphalt and who knows what else with a jackhammer and all these traditional roles that men, because they tend to be physically stronger. And we all know that because that's why all the women are screaming in athletics as people who are confused are denying their biological identity and they are competing and they're men and they're competing against women and they're taking everything and now they're winning because they are stronger they are faster and in barbie world the women are doing all the roles not only the female roles but you don't see a lot of domestic roles going on here in fact Barbie's a CEO. She's a Supreme Court judge. She's all this stuff. And I understand where that's coming from. But I want to talk about the Barbie syndrome. Because being equal doesn't mean that you have to all be the same and that you have the you know, you you have the right and the privilege and you should be aspiring to doing not only female roles, but male roles as if we don't need men. And so there's a lot of messages that were being thrown out. And if I hadn't grown up in the seventies, after having seen what the sixties did to us in terms of throwing the truth of God's word out of the schools so that our children would not be indoctrinated, quote unquote, but guess what? You throw the truth out All you have left is the lies, the lies that the devil is freely propagating throughout our culture. And if you throw the truth of God who created us, who knows best about how we, his creation, should function, what our purpose is, what our roles are, what our identity is, and don't confuse identity with roles. That's the first problem, and I've been really guilty of this. You are not what you do and your worth and your value do not come from what you do or how well you do it or how well you do it in comparison to other people. And that is something that I don't think I understood. In fact, I know I didn't understand it as a kid. And so here I am growing up and there's a lot going on in the Equal Rights Amendment, feminist Women's movement, bra burning, all of that stuff. Um, and I'm not going to say that ERA was all bad. There were some good things that came out of it. But there's people out there saying in 2023 that we've come a long way and we still have a long way to go. And I'm really not sure what they're talking about. But looking at the movie, it's very clear to me that they're... They're throwing out what they believe, and they they sincerely believe it. But when I analyze it, as we all should, if we are Jesus girls or Jesus guys, against the truth of God's word, if he's the creator, then I have to assume that he knows better than I do, or what any of us do, about how this world should work, how we should work, what our roles are, and again, Equality and roles, two different things. Because 
God is one God, but he exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Son we also know is Jesus Christ. Christ is a title. It designates that he is the promised Messiah, that he is the Savior. So if Jesus is the Savior and he says that he is the way, doesn't that mean that he knows the way to go? So can Barbie really save us? Because that's putting a lot on a doll. But it's not just a doll. It's a mentality. It's a mentality. And as I grew up in the 70s and my friend and I sat over coffee the other day and I said, do you remember the commercial Anjali? And this was coming along, I believe, in the 70s when Helen Reddy was singing about, I'm woman, hear me roar. Well, are you a woman or are you a lion? Because I'm confused. And I understand before you turn off and say, Ugh, I don't like what she's saying. I understand that perhaps in the 60s, a lot of men were not treating their wives with the love that God has wired us to need. But also, a lot of women and I've been guilty of this, we're not treating their husbands with the respect that God has wired them to need. So there's a book called Love and Respect, and his main premise is that when in a marriage, for example, or in any relationship, um, you know, like, yeah, this, this could be practiced in other relationships, but in a marriage particularly, a Let's say a man is not showing love to his wife. Well, that's like stepping on her air hose. And the author of the book, Love and Respect, I think it's John Eggerich, says it's like he's stepping on her air hose and she can't breathe. Well, what does a person do when they can't breathe? They start acting out. So she starts acting out because her basic God-given need for love is not being met by this man who loves her, but he's sinful, just like she is, because you can read the book of Genesis and see, and see where we all went wrong. All of this goes back. If you want to know what God's plan is for everything, look at the book of Genesis. It's the beginning. That's why it's the first book of the Bible. And God set us up in this perfect world to fellowship with him. And then Adam and Eve were given a choice because they didn't want robots worshiping him. He wanted them to make a choice to love and trust and obey him and to believe that he knows best. They were tempted. God didn't set them up. God says in the book of James, he doesn't tempt anybody. Satan, who was once the most beautiful angel in heaven, his name was Lucifer. He got proud and pride will make you fall every time. And he staged a coup because he wanted to be God. He wanted to get all the worship. And he and a third of the angels rebelled against God. And God kicked them out of heaven down to earth God wanted to give us a choice. Well, a choice doesn't exist in a, a vacuum. And Adam and Eve had a choice. Were they going to listen to God and believe him and trust him because he had proven himself over and over? Or were they going to listen to the lies of the devil, who is, as Jesus refers to him, the father of lies? Well, they chose to listen to the father of lies. And they unleashed a sin cancer gene that they passed on to their children, just like you get mom's blonde hair or dad's blue eyes. They unleashed a sin cancer gene. They died spiritually that day, and the part of them that could relate to God, uh, that used to relate to God perfectly, was destroyed, and they became spiritually dead, according to Ephesians 2. And yet, God was still in crazy in love with them. How do I know this? Because God is love. And he he says in Romans 5 that his kind of love for us is not like human love. We tend to love people until they disappoint us and then we tend to discard them. If we can't change them or make them get better, then we walk. That's how we tend to, to roll. We do that in relationships. But God's not like that. God could have discarded the whole human race because he knew before he created them that they were going to do this. That they were going to sin and the whole human race was going to be infected with a sin cancer gene. Well, we're so busy looking for cures for cancer. But there is a cure for the sin cancer that has affected all of us. We all sin. 
We all think and say and do things that are against God's holiness and his holy standard by which nobody can ever be good enough. And that sounds really hopeless, except you have to realize he's never asked us to try to work our way into his forgiveness, to try and work our way into redeeming ourselves, restoring ourselves by performing. In fact, there was a man that asked Jesus, he said, hey, what are the works, plural, that I must do in order to be saved? And Jesus looks at him and he does a wordplay and he says, the work, singular, of God. We would say, well, God's work. Now we're not talking about what man can do. Jesus is talking about God's work. The work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. And Jesus is talking about himself. So way back there in the garden, if you want to know where we went off track, it was back in the garden when Adam and Eve chose to listen to the lies of Satan and not believe God. And that's the first sin. And trying, and then they began to try and live independent of God, do their own thing, be their own boss, and say, you're not the boss of me. But what we didn't realize is that we were slaves. Yeah, we were slaves. Slaves to our own sin. Which is why when you try really hard to be really good, it only works for a while. And then you're, you crash and burn. Nobody is able to be good all the time. No one's able to be perfect. And God made a plan, even before he created us, to redeem us through Jesus. The only person whose performance was good enough is Jesus. He's, he's sometimes called the second Adam in scripture because he came and being God, he's perfect, but he wrapped himself in human form, which I think means that he had the ability to sin if he chose I don't think God rigged the system. Yes, he was virgin born, so he didn't have that sin nature in him. But Adam and Eve didn't have a sin nature in them either. God created them perfectly. And yet they still chose to sin. And when they chose to disobey God, that sin cancer infected every single human being, except for Jesus, which is why the virgin birth is so important. But I do think, I don't think it was rigged. Because they used to think, well, yeah, Jesus never sinned because he's God. But you know what? He never stopped being God, but he kind of laid aside, as Philippians 2 says, all of his God attributes. He never ceased to be that person, but he wasn't depending on that. He put himself in subjugation to the Father because he wanted to show us what it's like to live a life of dependence on God. And he relied on God all the time. And that's what we're supposed to do. And he procured for us with his death on the cross, all of our sins were placed on him, past, present, and future. Everything you'll ever do wrong against God was paid for on the cross. And then he comes and woos us, gives us the gift of faith. According to Ephesians 2 verse 8, Uh, Even the faith to believe in him comes from him. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. We cannot take credit for anything. And this rides against our pride. But the good news is you don't have to work. You don't have to perform like Jesus told that man. He's like, what have I got to do? What works do I have to do? How good do I have to be? How many commandments do I have to keep to make me good enough to get into heaven? And he's like, basically saying, there's nothing you can do because... The work of God. In other words, it's not our works. It's the work of God. One singular work. And what is Jesus referring to? His perfect sinless life. And he was going to be our sin substitute and take our punishment. And all of our sins were placed on him. And then he rose from the dead to prove that everything he'd ever said was true. And then he said, I'm going to go back to heaven and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he sure did. And he says, he's going to come and live inside you. He's going to guide you. He's going to direct you. Why? Because you can't work your way into salvation and into forgiveness and into God's love and acceptance. He loved you, and that's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross. He didn't love you because Jesus died. He loved you, period. And he knew that you and I couldn't work our way 
into his good graces. So he became the sin substitute for us. So you can't work or perform for God before you're saved. And as I did not realize the first seven years I was a Christian from age 13 to 20, you cannot work or perform your way into keeping God's love or his acceptance. His accept, his love just exists, period. He loves you and his love for you and me is such that while we were our worst, while we were sinners, spiritually dead, Romans says this in Romans chapter five, I believe, while we were spiritually dead, unable to even do anything because a dead man can do nothing. Now we're very much alive, but spiritually we're dead. He died for us while we were the worst that we could be. But I used to think that when I became a Christian that, well, now I knew better because I had the Bible and I approached it like it was a list of things I had to do to perform for God, to keep his approval, to keep his acceptance. But he's already, and and I want to focus on the word acceptance because yes, does he call us to live a holy life? Yes, but he's not calling on you to do it in your own strength. As he told me when I was 20, he he said, Colleen, because I was so frustrated I grew up with this Barbie image and I had a mom who dieted herself like crazy. She started feeding me these uh, appetite suppressant diet candies. They tasted like chocolate. So, you know, and because I was a little tubby when I was a kid. And so mom was very conscious of her figure and she was worried about my figure too. She put me in tap and ballet so I could get some of the weight off. And I was very much an emotional eater because through some mistakes that were made, because my mom didn't get the kind of love she needed. Her father never told her he loved her. This really wrecked her. And I think my grandmother must have had some performance-based acceptance going on because my grandmother had ways of letting my mom know that she wasn't getting it done as my mom. She, my grandmother would cut my toenails and then very carefully take the clippings and put them in an envelope and then send them home and say, Colleen, make sure your mom gets this. Well, what was she doing? She was using shame to let my mom know, Hey, I cut your, your child's toenails. You're not getting it done, Sarah. And just looking at the family, I can tell that they were jacked up. Well, every family is jacked up. Every family has dysfunction. And psychologists spend all their time trying to find labels because we're trying to figure out what's wrong. But when I read the Bible, those labels aren't necessarily wrong. But the psychologists are trying to describe what sin is and various kinds of sin. If you want to know what sin looks like, read the book of Genesis. And you can see within the first generation, we've got Cain murdering his brother. It did not take long for man to start exercising that sin nature. He was jealous of his brother because his brother was doing what God wanted and, and King was not. And God was like, why are you jealous of your brother? And Cain ends up killing his brother. And things got so bad by Noah's time that God literally had to push reset on the world after giving them 120 years to repent of their sins and they chose not to because God's not going to violate our choice. So what does all of this have to do with Barbie? Well, growing up, we all have messages that we believe things that we believe that are lies courtesy of Satan, courtesy of the lies that he's been telling our parents, our grandparents, our great grandparents, like you have to perform to be worthy of love. You have to be good enough or I won't accept you, or you're not wanted. And various messages are sent. My mom inadvertently sent me the message through these cute stories she would tell everybody about how she thought they were cute, about how she and my father never wanted to have children. Oh my goodness, no, they were enjoying having careers and she was a professional singer and then she was helping dad with his career and she didn't want to be a mom. And so I got some messages growing up that I was not wanted. I am confident that if I could sit down with my mom now and she could sit down with me and come down from heaven and talk to me, 
she would probably apologize and say, oh, sweetheart, I never meant to send you that message. But, you know, she was wounded. Her father never told her he loved her. So she was just passing on generational sin. And psychologists even have their own phrases for what we would call generational sin. You look in the book of Genesis, you see the patterns of sin. There's some dude in the Old Testament, I think it's the book of Genesis. I can't remember his name. I think it's Lamech. And he's like telling his wives, they're already off kilter. He's got multiple wives. That was never God's plan. You want to know God's plan? Look at the book of Genesis. One man, one woman for life. And if that is not something that you like, you have to take it up with the one who created you. And I do think that just thinking that we were not created is a cop-out. Because let's think about it. If there is no God, or if there's a God but he doesn't really care what you do, I mean, talk about abandonment issues. There are people that, I had a boss that told me, he said, oh yeah, I think God, you know, created everything, but he wound it up like a top and said, well, that was fun. That was nice. And he walked off. What? Is God a toddler with a short attention span? Is he flaky? I mean, why would he do all this and say, well, I don't really care. Do whatever you want. That sounds to me like a spiritualizing of, I do what I want and nobody is the boss of me. And if you don't even believe there is a God, well, then now you're stuck with not having a purpose. Now you're just eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die and we have no purpose. And none of this has purpose. There is no meaning to life at all. And you still get to be your own God. If there is no God, you get to be your own God. If you believe in a God who is doesn't care enough about you and he abandons you and says, yeah, good luck with that. I wouldn't want to worship that kind of God, but that's not the God of the Bible. So you got to know the truth because culture is throwing you a lot of lies. It's coming through the movies, the music, the books. God is speaking a lot of truth through the same vehicles because as God tries to get the message out, hey, I love you guys, but you've sinned and I'm holy. I can't be around sin, but hey, don't try to knock yourself silly. My law that I gave you in the Old Testament It's been superseded by Jesus because he fulfilled it. Jesus said, I have not come to do away with the law, Mosaic's law, uh, Mosaic's, (laughs) Moses' law, the Mosaic law, which God gave Moses. That law was meant to frustrate people into realizing, hey, I can't do this. And God's like, exactly. Stop trying. Put your faith in me. And by the way, all those lambs and everything that you're sacrificing again and again and again and again and again. They're just bookmarks, and there's not even a sacrifice for, I meant to do it, sin. So guess what? What are you supposed to do? Give up? No. Well, you're supposed to give it over. You're supposed to trust me for your salvation, and I'm sending a Messiah, a Savior, to save you. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a man that was groovy and loved people. He is God who came down and was the second Adam, wrapped himself up. He was fully God and fully man at the same time, yet without a sin nature. And he died on the cross and paid for all of our sins. So he doesn't want you trying to perform for him. But I grew up in a performance Barbie world. I looked at that Barbie. I wanted to be that Barbie. I wanted to look like that Barbie. Not to the point that I was willing to go get surgeries, but I, that was an ideal. Barbie was an ideal. And I grew up in a world where femininity was celebrated. But by the seventies came Ho, ho, ho. Everything about being feminine. We literally were kicking God out of our schools, kicking him out of our movies, kicking him out of our mentality and all of these other, all of these lies and other philosophies, AKA lies. We were embracing, not knowing that we were slaves to our sin and slaves to Satan, who is behind it all. He is the great influencer. And he's the father of lies, according to Jesus. So what does this have to do with Barbie? This is what it has to do with it. And I've tried to do this short, and I can't do it short, because it's a very complex subject. But the Barbie syndrome. And I'm not saying every woman or every man has a Barbie or whatever. You know, I don't know what the male equivalent of Barbie would be. I don't think it would be Ken, not especially after seeing that movie. No man man wants to say he's a Ken. Uh, No, 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 no. Um... G.I. Joe? I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I mean, you see the guys playing with their G.I. Joes. They're taking their cues from their fathers. And the girls are taking their cues from the mothers. We got to get it right. 
But how can we get it right if we don't have it right? If we don't know that we don't have it right, and how can we know what's right? Well, you got to find out what the truth is. Well, so we have to believe this God who created us or believe Satan. That's the only two choices God says are in the Bible. You either believe God or you believe Satan. And we'd like to create a third choice and say, well, I believe what I believe and I decide what I believe and I'm not a slave to anybody. That's a lovely story we tell ourselves, but it's not true. God makes it clear in the Bible that we were slaves to sin and he came to set us free to become quote unquote slaves to righteousness. Now I know the word slave is a horrible word, but when God uses it, it has a different meaning. It has a different meaning. We're not slaves with no wills. What he's saying is you become addicted to righteousness. Wow. I like that. I I want to be addicted to righteousness in a good way. Because I've certainly been addicted to a lot of things I shouldn't be addicted to, like Coca-Cola, lots of sugar, donuts, lots of Krispy Kreme donuts. I'm addicted to calorically dense foods, but addicted to righteousness? I mean, to, to desire that? Oh yeah, I'm in, I'm in. We, we belong to God, and He doesn't call us slaves. We are His children. But he's using a a metaphor to help you understand that just as you used to offer yourself, that's a volitional thing. That's a will thing. We have a will. We can either choose to believe God and offer ourselves to him, like Romans 12 talks about, in light of all that he's done for us. You got to know what he's done for you before you can offer yourself to him because you got to trust him and you got to trust in his love. You got to be all in. And when you're in, then you're like, yeah, sure. I want to know and rely on your love, like First John says. I want to obey you, and I don't want to be conformed to the pattern of this world anymore, like Romans 12 says to not be. I want to be transformed, because you got to understand, your brain is always listening. And when you're a kid, you're taking in all these messages that the culture is sending. Well, the culture, if they're not actively believing in and following Christ, they're following Satan. Down. They never would believe that they were. They wouldn't admit to it. And I'm not saying we should all, you know, say that we're Wiccans or something. But, I mean, those people are hardcore following Satan and they, and they make no bones about it. Um, but God says you're either following Jesus or you're following Satan. There's no third choice. And if you say, well, I'm following myself. Well, yourself, your old self before you put your faith in Christ. That flesh, that old man that Paul says we wrestle with in Romans 7, that still kind of, you know, can bother us. The reason it bothers us is because our minds need to be changed. Behind every bad behavior is a lie that we're believing. And we need to renew our minds. Romans 12 was there long before psychologists came up with cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. And I'm going to be bold here. I don't want to offend or step on toes. But... You can only go so far as a human being in identifying what the problem is and identifying what the solution is. And if you leave Christ out of the solution, if you leave your creator out of the solution, you can tell people till you're blue in the face and they can be in therapy or be on meds or a combination thereof for year after year after year. And they're just going to keep telling the same story over and over and over. Why? Because they've got to renew their mind. And how do they renew their mind? They got to be exposed to the truth. And what is the truth? Is it what we say? Is it what the world says? Or is it what Jesus says? It's what Jesus says. He says, I am the way, the truth. He's the one who shows us the way to go. He's the one that shows us the truth. His word is truth. That's why it was so critical when in America, the Bibles were taken out of schools. That's why it's so critical that people are running around spouting this separation from church clause that was never meant to be applied the way they're applying it. Our founding fathers, it's out there if you want to look and if you want to get past the revisionist Christian, revisionist, it's not Christian, revisionist history of America. There's a documentary on Amazon Prime Video, I think it's like $3 to rent, called The True Christian History of America. They will take you all the way back through the United Kingdom, people like Oliver Cromwell. They'll go all the way back to, um, before Martin Luther, to a man named Jan Hess, 
and the Hessians. I mean, they're going back to the 1400s. The ideals that our founding fathers gathered around them, even though not all of them are Christians, they gathered Christian ideals about how to do government. And it was the experiment. Could you be a government without a monarch, with a represent, representative government, uh, you know, UK, Parliament, right? Uh, America, Congress. Um, could you do that? And these ideals were by Christians. Watch the documentary. They do a way better job than I do of explaining it. So let's bring this all in with Barbie. Do you suffer from the Barbie syndrome? Here's some things that might tell you if you're suffering from the Barbie syndrome, which is trying to be an idealized version of yourself that is built on lies. And let me just ask you some questions and then you can see if you're like me, because I definitely am guilty of it. One, do you have idealistic, impossibly high expectations of yourself that nobody could keep, but you keep trying? Do you use shame when you fail? Do you use fear? What's at the base of it? Are you afraid that you've got to be worthy of love? You've got to earn love through your performance? And this idealistic image is your, your vehicle by which you try to get others to accept and love you or accept and love yourself. If you're a Jesus girl, have you, like I did at age 13, taken that old programming, forgetting that our brains have neuroplasticity and we can renew our minds? If we will apply the truth, we can change our behaviors because we'll change what we believe. Do you still believe the lies of Satan? that maybe were handed down to you by your family or maybe you saw in the culture and you adopted them in your formative years as you were trying to figure out who am I? Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? Am I significant? Am I worthy? Am I worthy of love? Do I have value? Did you create a Barbie image for yourself out of bits and pieces of all the various messages that you got from other people and you built this impossible image of yourself like a Jenga tower block by block and then does it fall and then when it falls what do you do do you weep do you flagellate yourself mentally and then do you start trying again and again and again and again are you in bondage to this Barbie type image because I was I was number two does your identity and your acceptance of yourself rest on you being able to feel good about yourself and feeling worthy of love because you've achieved and met all the expectations that you have garnered from society or you think that you're supposed to be or do or as a Jesus girl you think that God is demanding all of this of you so that you can accept yourself and so that he can accept you and so that others can accept you? Are you chasing acceptance? Are you trying to compete with other women, other people to be the best at everything? Because that's the only way you know how to feel good about yourself. Do you feel like you have to be perfect? Because that was me. And that still is me in my old rut mental thinking. And I have got to, and I've been working on it with the Lord exchange all of that by understanding my identity in Christ. And there are scriptures you can look up on your identity in Christ. But do you only feel good about yourself when you meet the expectations, the list that you make, the to-do list, the to-be list? Do you only feel good about yourself and accept yourself when you are perfect? How's that working for you? Number three, do you have an inner perfectionistic critic inside of you that is rarely ever satisfied and shames you. I read an article about this a long time ago when I was visiting with a Christian counselor and trying to deal with a family situation and he uncovered a lot of baggage with me. We all have baggage. It's 
a result of sin and others sin against us and our parents have baggage and everybody understands that everybody understands that we all have baggage some of us have entire luggage stores but what happens is maybe you had someone who was very critical of you and that's what this article said and this book called the good daughter syndrome that i am narrating right now um she's she's nailing the problem um she doesn't necessarily call it sin and it's by Catherine Fabrizio. Uh, she doesn't necessarily call it sin, but God would call it sin. So I call it sin. Um, all the woundedness that our parents, grandparents and all that, it just gets passed down to every generation. And as somebody pointed out to me in a Costco, in a very interesting conversation that I never thought I would have, if Satan is alive because angels never die, and that means that he was hanging around your family or he had demons I know it's not a pretty picture, but we are in a spiritual war. And if we could see with spiritual eyes, we would see that there are demons and angels. The angels serve God. The demons serve Satan. There are demons that are surrounding us and we don't realize it. We're in a spiritual war between God and Satan for who's going to get the worship. And and we're we're in between. And God's not fighting to make us worship him. He gives us free choice. It's Satan that's fighting to try and make us worship him. Uh, God's already won. He won at the cross. He's not fighting this battle anymore, but he he's already established himself. He had nothing to prove anyway. He's God. But Satan is fighting to get us to worship him and believe him and believe his lies. And so if demons are surrounding families, that could explain why you see a lot of the same type of behaviors. Like my cousins, their father, uh my uncle who I never met because he was such a bad guy and my aunt divorced him my mom's sister he um he had a lot of problems with substance abuse and uh perversion I'll clean it up he had a lot of problems with perversion and uh assault let's just call it that uh assault that's related to perversion and in case there's little ears listening, I'll, I'll try to avoid some of the words, but hopefully you're connecting the dots. And so guess what? Every single one of those kids, except for the daughter, uh, who I think got saved kind of early, they struggled with it. And so back to that inner critic, because my mom struggled with perfectionism because her mom was demanding that she meet certain criteria and be perfect. My mom got the idea she had to be perfect. And she sort of passed it on to me. Well, a lot of that is Satan working on the families. He wants to keep us all stuck in that sin cycle. And he wants us to believe his lies. Anything to keep us from believing the truth of God. And he doesn't care what lie you believe as long as you just believe it and don't believe the truth. So, number four. Do you build this ideal Barbie image from bits and pieces of all the women you see or hear about on social media? At church? The gym? etc. Are you trying to look like Gal Gadot or that neighbor down the street? Are you trying to be fit like Denise Austin or who, who is the physical exercise gurus now? Um, are you trying to dress like Audrey Hepburn, Grace Kelly or Jennifer Aniston or any of the girls, oh, Lady Gaga? I don't know. I don't know. Many people try to dress like her, but, um, She's very talented, though. Um, do you try to cook like a chef from the CIA? Do you try to be the most? Do you try to decorate like Southern Living or Martha Stewart? You, you get the idea. You know, we take bits and pieces of all that we see, and we're like, I'm going to cook. Uh, at least I did. I'm like, I'm going to be like that girl in the gym. Wow, how does she look like that? So then I start to try to look like that. Then on Facebook, I see this woman who raises all these, raises, she grows all these flowers and does these beautiful arrangements and cans and stuff. I'm like, oh, well, I'll try and do that. I'm still taking my cues from all the women around me, and I'm taking the best of them. And they would tell you, oh, I really suck at this, that, or the other, but I'm taking the best of them and only the best. And believe me, on Facebook, you're only seeing the best, the best of everything. Everybody makes sure you only see them at their best, their families at their best, because 
I can't speak for anybody else, but I think for me, the struggle with Facebook and Instagram and all that is you got this image you're trying to project, right? So I'm looking at all these people and I'm like, I want to be like her and I'm going to look like her and I want to be physically fit like her. And I build this and I'm not the only one because I heard another woman talking about it years ago. She called it the phantom. I'm calling it the Barbie. And then if you're a Jesus girl, I started overlaying expectations and trying to be Christian Barbie Jesus girl edition. And talk about a Jenga tower that's going to fall. Do you try to keep your house a certain way? Do you try to be as talented as... Think of somebody. Somebody's coming to your mind right now. Are you trying to be as talented? Are you trying to raise Uber Kinder who makes straight A's and they're all the cum laude's and you make sure everybody knows it? Of course, we're proud of our children. There's nothing wrong with that. But... Are they uber kinder? Are they in like 90,000 extracurricular activities? Because we just keep cranking all the expectations that we're putting on women. And we're telling them these Barbie messages that, hey, it's not enough to dress pretty and be feminine. Oh my goodness. How could you settle for that? Um, And I'm not saying you should settle for that. I'm just saying our identity is not wrapped up in how we look, how we cook, how we keep house what kind of career we have, whether we're a stay-at-home mom or whether we're a career seeker and we got those kids in, you know, baby school from six weeks on and somebody else is raising the kid, sorry. But if they're spending seven, eight hours a day with the kid, they're raising your kid. And I understand before you think I'm judging, I'm not judging. I know that it's not financially or it seems like it's not financially possible There are things that happen, and I understand that not every woman feels like she can stay home, and there are reasons for that, so I'm not judging. But if we're sending the message in movies that it's not enough to be a mom, it's not enough to be a wife, it's not enough to be a domestic diva, as I like to call it, that's a lie. And how dare we shame fellow sisters and women by putting them down? Because they're domestic divas. How has that fallen on hard times as you're wasting your time? I honestly was told by my cousin. She said, well, you're going to homeschool your kids? Why are you wasting your talents and gifts like that? Why don't you just go get a job as a teacher? I'm like, wait a minute. So if I teach my own kids, it's a waste of my time and talents. But if I teach other people's kids that somehow that's a career. What is it? Because we earn money. Are we valuable because we earn money? For me personally, I have to separate my identity from what I do. Your identity is not what you do. Say that three times. Your, my identity is not what I do. That's why I was crashing and burning when my kids walked out of the house. I had a 20 year career as a mother and that became my identity instead of something that I was doing. And I was talking earlier about how God is one, but he exists in three forms. And they all have different roles. God the Father has one role. And Jesus has another role. He's the one that came and died on the cross. And then the Holy Spirit has a role. And he is the one that empowers us to live the Christian life because he's living it through us. That's the best kept secret that really isn't a secret. But it's one that Satan doesn't want you to know. God showed me when I was 20, you don't have to live the Christian life in your own strength. And you can't. You can't live it before you're saved, and you can't live it in your own strength after you're saved. He's not giving you the Bible as a list of commands just to run off with and do in your own strength. And I was crashing and burning at 20, and he met me at a Bible camp, and I was so frustrated. I'm like, what do you want from me? And he's like, you're trying to live the Christian life in your own strength. Why don't you just give it all to me and let me live my life through you? And my family saw a huge change in me at that point on. So God doesn't want us to think we have to be all that in a bag of chips and to be a Barbie. And I see these, these women running around here and they're going faster and faster and they have no downtime. They have no margin. They're raising kids who have no downtime and no margin. And everybody's exhausted and they're crashing and burning and behind those closed doors, everybody's falling apart. And when mom is alone in her bathroom, she's falling apart. That was me. It's still me when I try to build this impossible image and think that I have to do it to accept myself when that's not how God accepts me. 
He accepts me on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done in his perfect work and his perfect performance. He doesn't accept me on the basis of what I do. And he doesn't accept you on the basis of what you do either. Not even your efforts to live the Christian life. You can't work your way into salvation and you can't be good enough to keep your salvation and you don't have to. Nothing will ever separate you from God's love when you're in Christ. Now, if you reject his, his offer um, and you say, I don't need Jesus, I'm going to do this on my own or I don't even think you exist, I don't care, then you're rejecting his love. That's another story and that's our choice. Nobody goes to hell except by their own choice. Okay. God's not sending anybody to hell. We're sending ourselves there when we say, no, I don't need Jesus to be my savior, to be my Lord. I mean, he's the one who created you. Come on, who better to be Lord? But we have this sin thing that says nobody's the Lord to me, not realizing that Satan is the Lord of you until you put your faith in Jesus. So who do you want for your Lord, Satan or Jesus? Because there's no third option here. I know we think there is. There's no such thing. So... Barbie, you know, it's easy to look around and take the best about someone we admire, isolate it and build like a Jenga tower, block by block, this impossible standard and image that we aspire to so we can accept ourselves. But that's not how God accepts you. So if you're still doing that as a Jesus girl, like I've been doing, then you've created an idol and you're worshiping it. You're worshiping what you think of yourself or what others think of you more than what the God who created and died to save you says. And that's an idol. And that's got to go. And Satan loves it when we have idols. He wants us to worship anything or anyone except God, except Jesus. So when I realized that out of pride, which was a stronghold, and a stronghold is where Satan has got an advantage of you. And he was getting me on my pride. I was competing with people. And it may take the rest of my life to completely knock this down. Because I, when I became a Christian, I believed Satan's lie. And I thought, I got to perform and be perfect, not only for myself, to accept myself, but also for others. So so they'll accept me because I need their acceptance to accept myself. Oh, I guess I got to perform for God too. And I took all of his commands like a to-do list. And I was miserable for seven years, walking the aisle every week, rededicating myself, wondering what the heck is wrong with me. All I needed was some discipleship. And let me tell you, if you don't know your identity in Christ, that that is foundational in the Bible. Romans 1 through 11 talks about what God did for us. And then in chapter 12, he's like, in view of all of this. And then in all of the epistles that Paul wrote, that God used Paul to write rather, He says in Ephesians 1 through 3, this is who you are. If you want to know your identity, look in Ephesians 1 through 3. That's one of the main places to find it. And if we don't know who we are in Christ and we don't know that we are loved by God unconditionally and that in Christ, once we accept his love, nothing can ever separate us from that love. And if we don't accept his love, we're choosing to separate ourselves from him in a place called hell with all the other people that said, nope, I got this on my own. Don't need you. Don't even think you exist. Okay, that's our choice. But God himself only loves and accepts us on the basis of what Jesus has done. And it's a lie to believe that you have to perform well and you have to perform perfectly. That may be how you treat yourself, which is wrong. And that may be how other people seem to treat you. And if they do, that's wrong. But... We've got to not confuse our identity with what we do and how well we do it. Your identity in Christ is only built on Jesus Christ's performance, and it's secured by that. Just like when a bank says that it is secured by the FDIC, your identity in Christ is secured forever by what Jesus did, and it cannot be undone. So your identity in Christ can't be undone, not even by you. That's why you can't separate yourself from God's love, according to Romans 8. So, we don't ever have to work or perform to earn or keep God's love or his acceptance. He loved us while we were at our worst as unsaved sinners. And when we put our trust in him to save us, he forever took away all our sins, failure, and credited to us the righteousness of Christ. You want to know what God has to say about you? Here's three things out of one verse. Colossians 3, verse 12. You are chosen in Christ. You are holy in Christ, 
and you are dearly loved. He loved you before you did one good thing. He loved you while you were still sinning like crazy and had no interest or even knowledge of him. So if you can't earn to get his love before salvation, then you can't lose his love or his acceptance after salvation, according to Romans 8. And by the way, we're swimming in grace. We were introduced to God's grace, which is his unearned, unmerited favor. It is based on what Jesus has done on your behalf. You are free to fail.